Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I was having a fire with some friends in northern Minnesota. Everyone was pretty drunk and talking really loud, but I saw one of my friends freezer like he was hearing something. A few seconds later, another friend freezes like he's hearing something, too. But this whole time, I can't hear anything but my drunk friends jabbering away. I am the only one who notices the two getting up and start moving into a huge clearing where we were camping. Once we get out of earshot of the fire, I hear it, too. I don't know how to describe what I heard. It was extremely loud like a low-flying plane, but it was more high-pitched and the tone undulated at a really creepy intervals. The sounds was traveling at a high speed across the landscape, and every five seconds the tone and undulation frequency changed. It probably covered two miles in thirty seconds, and we could hear it traveling west out of earshot. Never found out what it was. In the heart of a vast and untouched forest, a group of three young hikers embarked on an adventurous journey. Their backpacks weighed them down, but their spirits were high with anticipation. Each hiker possessed a unique personality that set them apart. There was Mark, the outgoing and fearless leader of the group. His rugged appearance matched his adventurous nature, and he wore a determined look on his face as he navigated through the dense foliage. By his side was Sarah, a nature enthusiast with a gentle spirit. Her bright eyes sparkled with curiosity as she soaked in the beauty of the surroundings. 
Finally, there was Alex, the mischievous and carefree joker of the group. Always up for a thrill, he added a light-hearted touch to their excursions. As they trekked deeper into the forest, fate led them to an unexpected discovery. A long-forgotten Cherokee Native American burial ground. The air hung heavy with a sense of sacredness, and whispers of warning seemed to echo through the trees. Local tribesmen, led by an elder known as Sitting Owl, had long guarded this resting place, cautioning outsiders to show respect and avoid disturbing the spirits that dwelled there. Ignorant of the sacredness and disregardful of the warnings, the hikers succumbed to the lure of mischief. In their inebriated state, they thoughtlessly disrupted the tranquility of the burial ground, defiling it with their disrespectful actions. Night fell, casting an eerie veil over the forest. The hikers, seeking refuge from the darkness, stumbled upon an abandoned Native American cabin hidden amidst the trees. Unbeknownst to them, the cabin had its own dark history, intertwined with the curse of the disturbed burial ground. As the moonlight filtered through the cracks in the cabin's wooden walls, the atmosphere grew increasingly sinister. Unseen forces stirred, awakened by the desecration of the sacred ground. The hikers' presence had unleashed an ancient curse that sought to exact its vengeance upon those who trespassed. One by one, the hikers began to succumb to strange and inexplicable afflictions. Mark, the fearless leader, was struck by a sudden and debilitating stroke that left him paralyzed and helpless. Sarah, the nature enthusiast, convulsed violently, vomiting a black, viscous substance before succumbing to a suffocating darkness. Alex, the carefree joker, inexplicably lost his sight, stumbling blindly and meeting a tragic end when he fell upon the sharp blades of a long-forgotten garden rake. The next morning, Sitting Owl, with a mix of sorrow and anger, arrived at the scene. His eyes surveyed the tragic aftermath, and he exhaled a heavy sigh. Strangers should stay away from our burial grounds, he uttered, a stern warning laced with sadness. The price of their disrespect had been paid in blood, and the spirits of the ancient Cherokee ancestors had taken their vengeance. I always knew I was destined to protect nature, to be an advocate for the environment. So, when the opportunity arose to join the park ranger team at one of the most beautiful national parks in the country, I leaped at the chance. My name is Maya, and my passion for the natural world has always driven me. As I began my new role as a park ranger, I felt a sense of purpose and responsibility settle upon my shoulders. Little did I know that this journey would lead me to uncover a sinister secret that threatened the very ecosystem I sought to preserve. During my daily patrols, I started noticing subtle signs of something amiss within the park's boundaries. Small patches of dead and withering vegetation, an unusual stench lingering in the air. It was enough to set my activist instincts on high alert. I couldn't ignore the possibility of illegal toxic dumping compromising the park's fragile ecosystem. Gathering my courage, I decided to share my concerns with my fellow rangers. To my relief, they were receptive and shared my determination to protect the park. Together, we formed a close-knit team united in our goal to expose the polluters and save our beloved sanctuary. We began to meticulously collect evidence, tracking down the sources of pollution with the precision of seasoned detectives. It was like piecing together a complex puzzle, each clue leading us closer to the heart of the issue. Late nights turned into early mornings as we pored over maps, data, and surveillance footage. 
As we delved deeper into our investigation, we discovered that a large corporation had been clandestinely disposing of hazardous waste within the park's boundaries. The magnitude of their actions horrified us, and our determination to stop them intensified. We knew that exposing such a powerful entity wouldn't be easy, but we were committed to the cause. We decided to document everything, compiling irrefutable evidence that would stand up in court. We also sought legal counsel, ensuring that we were fully equipped to take on the battle ahead. Our plan took shape. We reached out to environmental organizations and local media, sharing our findings while protecting our identities to avoid any interference from the polluters. As the momentum grew, we launched a public awareness campaign, rallying support for the park's protection. The day of reckoning arrived when we presented our evidence to the authorities. It was a nerve-wracking moment, knowing that our actions could change the course of history for the park. The corporation fought back, attempting to discredit us and downplay their actions. But we stood our ground, resolute in our conviction to defend the natural world. As the truth unfolded, the public's outrage swelled, and the pressure on the corporation became too much to bear. In a historic courtroom battle, justice prevailed. The polluters were held accountable for their crimes, and the park's fragile ecosystem was spared further harm. The victory was a testament to the power of unity and unwavering commitment to a cause. As an environmental activist turned park ranger, I realized that my passion had not only led me to protect nature, but had also united me with a team of like-minded individuals who shared the same fierce love for our planet. The park emerged from the ordeal stronger than ever, and we vowed to remain vigilant, ready to defend it against any threat that might arise. Our daring plan had not only exposed the polluters, but it also left a lasting legacy, inspiring others to take action in defense of the natural world. As the sun set over the rejuvenated landscape, I knew in my heart that I was exactly where I was meant to be, protecting the environment I loved, surrounded by a family of fellow rangers, and ensuring that the beauty of our park would thrive for generations to come. This happened circa 1970, 1 or 1972, when my mother was about 14 or 15 years old. The incident occurred in a heavily wooded area near Montevallo, Alabama, close to Birmingham. My mother is the oldest of five children. She has three sister and a brother, who is the baby of the family. One weekend in the cooler months of the fall, my grandfather decided to take the whole family, my grandmother, my mother, and all my aunts and uncles, so seven people total, into the woods for target practice with a rifle. My mother grew up quite poor, and they didn't always live in the best neighborhoods, so my grandfather wanted to teach the kids how to defend themselves with the rifle if need be. Like I said, it was later in the fall. So the trees were bare, and there were lots of leaves on the ground. The wooded area was just off a dirt road. So this was a fairly rural area they were in. Since it was so far off the beaten path, my grandfather became startled when he heard the roar of a car engine so deep in the woods. My mom remembers the car as being a blue Ford Galaxy. Despite the fact that my grandfather had a gun, he totally freaked out and told my grandma and the kids to hide under a pile of leaves in the woods. He hid with them. The man in the driver's seat got out, dragged a woman's body out of the car, and just dumped her there in the woods and drove away. After my grandfather was sure the man had gone, everyone came out of hiding and the woman sat up and stared them. Straight in the face. My grandfather asked the woman if she needed help. She said no, she would be fine. She didn't seem to be injured and obviously didn't want help. 
She hadn't put up a fight with the man when he was dragging her out of the car. She must have known him. So my grandfather cut the shooting lesson short and decided to rush the kids home to safety. Well, on the trail back to the dirt road where my grandfather had parked their car, they passed the man in the blue Ford Galaxy driving out of the woods. My mom looked over and noticed that he had a huge machete laying across the front seats right beside him. My grandfather made sure that the man could see that he was carrying a rifle, but everyone was careful not to give away what they had just seen. The man struck up small talk with my grandfather, asked him how he was doing and what they were doing out in the woods. My grandfather explained that he had just taken his family out for some target practice with the rifle. The man told him to have a nice a day and continued driving. The next day, my grandfather went back out to that spot in the woods. There was not a body there. However, he did find the woman's wig, her purse, some Kleenex, and a pair of eyeglasses. He collected the items and took them home. According to my grandfather, that area of the woods was known for having shallow graves and being a dumping site for bodies. My mother became hysterical when he walked in the door carrying that stuff. She started screaming. He killed that lady. He killed that lady. My grandfather ended up taking the items to the police station, but my mom doesn't think anything ever came of it. She never heard anything else about it after that. Well, she did hear one other thing about it, I guess. Early the next morning, my grandmother called my mom when she arrived at work just before the kids left for school. She told them not to take the bus that day, that she would come home and pick them up and drive them to school. When my mom asked why, my grandmother said, because that car is waiting for you at the bus stop. I have heard many rumors of a monstrous creature born in the mountains, about 15 miles away from our city. The people living there are said to be deeply superstitious and almost untouched by civilization. The creature, which was born about two weeks ago, has caused a great deal of terror and dread among the mountaineers. They believe that the devil has appeared among them in the form of the monster that was born in their midst. Recently, rumors of the creature have reached our city, and those who have dared to visit it describe it as being somewhat larger than an average newborn, covered in short black hair and dark in color, despite having a white father and mother. From either side of its head grow short horns, and it has a long tail that resembles a cloven hoof. To the mountaineers who have seen it, it is the very picture of the devil. There are many stories about the incidents surrounding the creature's birth, but one stands out. It is said that the father of the creature had some religious beliefs, which he tried to impose on his wife, who did not agree with him. She declared that she would rather see the devil than have a cross always before her eyes. Shortly after this, she gave birth to the monstrous creature. In terror, the father summoned several neighbors, and one of them, more brave than the rest, offered to kill the creature by bleeding it to death. As he took out his knife, the creature raised itself, got down from the bed and walked across the room, addressing the wood, be executioner in terrible language and threatening him with dire consequences if he attempted to harm it. It then declared that it would live for seven days, and having revealed its purpose for coming into the world, it would then die. As strange as it may sound, this story has many believers, and few dare to go near the little cabin in the mountain where the poor mother of the miserable creature lives. The creature lived for seven days and died on the last Monday, the eighth day, without ever speaking again. Its birth and death have filled the mountaineers with such uneasiness that they shun the cabin and its inhabitants. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I sat on a wooden bar stool behind the register in the nastiest gas station I've seen before or since. It was my third night in a row on the graveyard shift, despite my constant pleas for daylight hours. At night, the place became purgatory. No matter how hard you'd scrub or how many times you'd mop, a thick film of filth remained on every surface. I would go hours without seeing a single car drive past. I often questioned if the rapture happened, and I was the only one left. We were a stone's throw from another 24. Our gas station franchise that was cleaner, properly lit, and had an equipment update within the last decade. Needless to say, I had a lot of downtime. It was half past midnight. I had six and a half hours to kill. I was reading from the first volume of Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and doing my best not to look at the clock. As I would soon learn, I was being irresponsibly unaware of what was going on around me. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a brown wood panel station wagon pull up to a pump. Two men exited the car and walked inside. One looked older. He was wearing a leather jacket, the same shade of brown as his vehicle. The younger guy was close to my age. He wore a faded Carhartt coat and work boots. Both were covered in a layer of dirt or dust that suggested recent manual labor. These were country gentlemen. I greeted them and asked what I could help them with. They told me they're not interested in buying anything, but they had to stop by and make sure everything was okay here. I was appreciative, albeit visibly confused. The younger man asked me, Did you know you're being watched? As he subtly gestured outside. Sure enough, I saw the dark outline of a man standing completely motionless near a streetlight. None of his features were visible, but I could tell he was staring directly at us. The older man said they had been driving by 45 minutes earlier and almost hit him as he was standing in the middle of the road. He theorized the man was possibly on drugs. They decided to take the long way home that night to see if the guy was still hanging around. Mind you, this was 45 minutes after they almost ran the guy over. Had he been watching me that entire time? I looked outside again to find he hadn't moved a muscle. He was positioned on the border of the streetlight's illumination. I noticed his jaw was moving like he was saying something. I asked the younger man to lock the deadbolt on the front door, literally my only line of defense in this situation. They both agreed to wait with me in the store while I contacted police. Until that moment, I maintained composure, trying not to make it obvious that I felt extremely vulnerable. Here I was, at the mercy of three complete strangers, hoping the two I had in front of me were genuinely there to help. When the dispatch operator confirmed they had units on the way, I felt safe enough to end the call. I thanked the two men profusely and they walked out the door. After pausing for a moment, they turned around and came back inside. The younger one plainly stated, lock the door, he's coming this way. Then immediately ducks back out the door so I can lock myself in. As I flipped the deadbolt into position, I could see the dark figure moving toward the building at an intentioned pace making it across the parking lot in about ten strides. He tried opening the door, but found it wouldn't budge. He asked the older man, 
Where did the girl go? Who then tried to buy me some time by saying I was in the bathroom and I would be back in a minute? So this man, this possible assailant, walks around the corner towards the bathroom door and disappears behind the building. And of course we didn't have cameras outside to keep employees safe on the job. The only three working security feeds happened to all be trained exclusively on where the cashier would stand. It felt accusatory. It was at this point when real fear began to set in, and I lost control of my composure. This unidentified man, who had apparently been watching me for close to an hour, was now laying in wait for me to exit the bathroom. I started to hyperventilate as thoughts of what his motivation could be. Had he been watching me before tonight? Was my store chosen at random, or did this guy come here because he saw a small female at the register? Was he actually on drugs, or was he just mentally unstable enough for it to appear that way? Did he have a weapon on him, or did he plan to use his bare hands for whatever he was going to do? I peeked out the window and saw the two gentlemen exchanging glances and muted discussion of how to proceed from there. Thankfully, a local police sub tore down the street and into the parking lot of the building next door, turning on his strashers and quickly coming to a stop. As soon as I was absolutely sure the man was gone, I sat on the curb outside, sucking every last drop of nicotine out of my cigarette. I held in a trembling hand. As if I telepathically summoned her, my phone rings with a call from my best friend. She said she was thinking about me and thought she would call to say what's up since she knew I would be bored. All I could respond with was, get here. Now. Twenty minutes later, all my roommates showed up in a pickup truck and stayed with me long enough to feel comfortable again. As anticlimactic as this ended, it could have definitely been a lot worse. I could have been robbed or murdered, or all three, all because I wasn't paying attention. I'll never know the true will of that dark figure under the streetlight, and maybe that's for the best. I don't think I could easily get past knowing what could have lied in store for me. And I wish I could have gotten one of the gentleman's contact information so I could send a beef jerky bouquet or something manly that says thank you. I was getting home late with my older sister. I'll call her Sarah. It was around 10, 10.30. My parent told us to go grab some things from the backyard as a windstorm was coming. For reference, we lived in a trailer park at the time, and there was a giant hill in our backyard that hit a power plant. I always hated going in the backyard at night because there was no light. Sarah said she thought she heard a noise, but we assumed it was our dad. Sarah called dad, and our dad came out of the house. We didn't panic because there were stray cats everywhere that could have made that noise. Our dad went inside, and we started towards the door, and I stopped when I saw a deer-like figure run on its hind legs to the hill. I wouldn't have thought much of it if we lived by woods or something, but we lived in a trailer in the middle of a super-populated town. My sister saw it too, and we could never figure out what it was. I just recently learned about skinwalkers and don't know much about them, but think this could possibly be one. Any opinions? During a 2010-2011 Westpac on ADDG, we were somewhere in the Indian Ocean. This is my best guess because I was in the air dad on the ship and never quite knew exactly where we were. One night, after flight ops had ended me and two other guys from the detachment were lounging on the flight deck, we had brought out those collapsible camping chairs and were just sitting there stargazing because the view was amazing with the ship not having exterior lights on. As we were looking at the stars, I noticed a pale green star moving east to west from our perspective. 
The best way I can think of to describe this would be that it looked like it a satellite, except this one was a pale green color and had what I can only describe as three bars in front of it. Basically, it looked like a pale green Wi-Fi signal icon traveling east to west in the sky. The bar closet to the satellite was the smallest, and the next two increased in size, exactly the same as a Wi-Fi icon. All three of us on the flight deck saw it, and had no idea how to explain it. My best guess is that it actually was a satellite, but I can't explain the color or the bars that radiated outward in front of it. I know it was not a meteor or something similar, as it maintained a constant speed across the sky and was the same brightness the entire time we were able to see. That was, without a doubt, the most unexplainable thing I've ever seen while on the ship, and to this day I still have no idea what it was. My father used to be a helicopter pilot down the south of New Zealand. When he was starting out, he would do a lot of deer shooting in very isolated spots of the country. Only recently, he told me about a pretty creepy experience he had during an evening flight as he was making his way back up the country. He flew with just a spotlight, which I'm thinking would be illegal these days. Anyway, as he was approaching this small town called Hast, basically in the middle of nowhere, he saw a bright green light in the sky. Not sure how far away it was, but he said he could hear it over the sound of his own helicopter. He said it disappeared pretty quickly after seeing it. He never reported it or anything as he didn't want people to think he was crazy. My mom lives in the middle of nowhere. Her house is pretty far down a secluded gravel driveway that you wouldn't even know was there. The closest neighbor is about a half mile away. One morning she was up at about 5 a.m. getting her day started when the dogs outside started going absolutely nuts which they only do whenever someone is on the property. She tried looking outside, but it was completely dark out. Later that day, the sheriff called. He's friends with my stepdad, and told them that in the early hours of the day, a man had killed his wife and was running from the cops and had abandoned his car in the woods a few miles down from where their house was. He apparently accidentally stumbled upon their property when trying to cut through the woods. They caught up to him a few miles down and had a shootout with him and he was killed in the process. In my twenties, my dumbass went camping near Hagerman, Idaho at a little gravel beach spot right off the Snake River. It was myself, my fiancé, and his best friend. They stayed up a little too late Friday night and I woke up a little too early Saturday morning. Bored, I hiked up through some large boulders on the side of a rocky cliff. That was about 300 feet so I could watch the sunrise. It was a cool July morning 50s, so I didn't bring more than a small bottle of water, not realizing the desert heats up way faster than you'd ever imagine once. That sun hits the horizon. Within 40 minutes of the sun coming up, I decide that it's hitting 70 plus degrees already in time to head back. Going down was going to be more precarious because there wasn't exactly a trail. Also with the heat came the rattlesnakes, hundreds of them. Not just one or two, but literally slithering out and curling up goddamn everywhere in the crevices between the rocks. I didn't have a stick or way to gently coerce them to move, so I had no option but to get onto the boulders and do my best to hop from rock to rock without killing myself or provoking them. I've never seen or expected so many snakes in one area. 
But with so little water, no sun cream on, and mid-July desert waiting to dehydrate me to oblivion, stopping was not an option. My campmates were sleeping off a boozy night and wouldn't hear me call for help even if I'd tried. I've never been bothered by snakes in the past, but the scene in Indiana, Jones and the Lost Ark came swimming to mind with a brand new appreciation. It took me about ninety minutes to get up the cliff, and about four hours of precarious leaps to get back down. I finally hit safety around 9.30 a.m. and vowed at that point to never do stupid shit like that again. Mother Nature is metal, and she'll remind you she's the boss every single time. So, in 2006, when I first started working at Walmart at 20, I used to walk several miles home every day down a long highway. Every now and then, I used to get picked up by people who were very nice and saw I was suffering out in the heat in the middle of summer with my shirt off and just a wife beater on. Well, one day a guy picks me up and seems cool at first, but then he started telling me how he is a modeling agent and was looking for talent. He asked if that was something I was interested in and I wasn't sure but was wondering where this was going. He started asking me if I have body hair on my body, which I answered until he started asking if I had any hair on my ass and other private places. At this point, the danger alarms were ringing in my head, and I just wanted to get out of that car extremely fast. I asked him to drop me off at some random neighborhood that was about 20 minutes from where I live, and I just walked into the staircase and waited about 15 miles to make sure he wasn't around and couldn't follow me home. And then I walked home looking over my shoulder the whole way. To this day, it freaks me out, the vibes the guy gave me. I felt that if I didn't get out of that car, I was never going to make it home. And I just realized I misread the op and it's about hiking, not hitchhiking low.